Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you who are in the room. And of course, if you're watching us on live stream, we just want to give a special welcome to you as well. Thanks for joining us that way. And as I see a lot of you guys trying to find some seats, those kind of things, I, I just want to remind you, if you like sitting in crowded rooms, we love that you're here. If you want some space, we do have Saturday services. I'm just saying it's an option. You'll probably have a couple of seats to yourself. So, so that's always an option for you to come to. But uh, we are really, really grateful that you're able to be with us uh, here today at Grace. And I really do hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving last week. I know I had a great Thanksgiving with my family, and I hope you guys got a chance to spend it with people that you love and people who are important in your life. But now that uh, Thanksgiving is sort of officially behind us, we're kind of like officially in Christmas mode uh, right now. And so we're seeing Christmas lights going up around the neighborhoods, and the trees are coming up, and all that kind of stuff. And it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas here at the Medina East Campus as well. And so because of all of that, uh, we are actually entering into our Christmas series. And so beginning this week and then for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to be in a series that's called Emmanuel, Beyond Us and Beside Us. And I am so excited uh, for the next four weeks that we have a chance to kind of collectively together think about and press our hearts on uh, the reality that God has sent his son Jesus into this world. And so we're so excited to have a chance to celebrate that and just to kind of think about those things together in this series. But I actually thought uh, as we're beginning this series, not a great place to start would just be to kind of ask you this question. So I just kind of wonder, um, in what way are you approaching and anticipating Christmas this year? So if I asked that question, if I said, hey, how is Christmas hitting you this year? Like, how do you find yourself coming into the Christmas season? In what way are you approaching and are you anticipating Christmas this year? Uh, One of the things I know is that uh, Christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so I'm curious how you would answer that question. Uh, Maybe for some of us in the room, for many of us, uh, we might say this. We might say that we are approaching Christmas, we are anticipating it excitedly, right? And so we are excited, we are pumped up, we love Christmas. Maybe you're the kind of person who would agree with the song that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. You look forward to it. Maybe you look forward to the presents and the parties and the traditions and the family and the time off of work or the time off of school. And Christmas means that for you, right? It's kind of an exciting thing. In fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you love Christmas so much that you ha- you put up Christmas stuff, tree and lights, that kind of stuff, before Thanksgiving this year? Just show of hands. How many of you guys did? Are there any of you in the room? Okay, great. I actually think that's a minor sin. I'm just saying that. It's sort of fun. It's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know, but... Uh... I'm just kidding. I actually, I love uh, Christmas too. It always makes me really excited. For some of us, uh, we might answer this way. We might say, well, maybe not excitedly. Maybe, honestly, we kind of come into it a little frantically, right? And Christmas sometimes has a way of sneaking up on us. And for some of us, uh, we kind of have to brace ourselves for the holidays because Christmas means a busy schedule. It means traveling around with the kids. It means a whole lot of, uh, you know, getting the right gifts and all this kind of thing. So for some of us, quite honestly, uh, we like Christmas, but when it's over, we really don't mind things leveling back out and kind of going back to normal. So maybe that's you. Uh, Maybe for you, if you're being really honest, if I ask this question, you would say, you know what, I'm actually kind of approaching Christmas reluctantly, reluctantly. And and of course, uh, you know, we know for sure that Christmas is maybe not everyone's favorite time of the year. And there can be a lot of different reasons for that, why Christmas is maybe particularly challenging or it's something that maybe in in some ways that you find yourself reluctant about. Steve mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, We're fully aware that Christmas for some people is, is really, really difficult. 
And uh, maybe for you, uh, you know, past hurts, losses, or disappointments can make Christmas a particularly difficult time. Maybe this is your first Christmas without somebody um, that was there in the past. Or maybe this is your first Christmas since the divorce, or it's the first Christmas since there's been a loss of some kind. And sometimes Christmas can be really hard in those ways. So I don't know how you would answer this question. Maybe you would answer in some of these ways, maybe a combination of these or whatever that might be. But the reason I ask the question is because while Christmas can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and I'm not sure what it means to you, I can, I can just say that I have kind of found that sometimes our own experience with Christmas and our own kind of idea of, of Christmas, whether it be a good experience or a bad experience, sometimes our own experiences with Christmas can actually cloud our hearts and it can cloud our minds from hearing the message that God is actually speaking through the arrival of his son. I think sometimes it can be easy, whether it's good or bad, for the holidays to sometimes speak so loudly that it's hard for us sometimes to zero in and hear the message that God is communicating through the arrival of his son, Jesus. I don't know if you're anything like me, but it is so easy for me to just go right through the holiday seasons and kind of miss the chance to like think about and put my heart upon uh, the arrival of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the son of God. And so I just want to tell you that our hope in this series over the next few weeks is that we just want to together in this space that we have on the weekends and even throughout the, throughout the week, we want to create some space and we want to create some room that we can maybe press our minds and press our hearts on the reality of what God is communicating through the arrival of his son, Jesus. That's what we're hoping to do. We're hoping to just create some space that we can kind of cut through the holiday noise, whether it be good noise or bad noise, cut through the holiday noise and maybe hear the message that Christmas is communicating to us about God. Because here's what I believe, and you guys, I really do believe this with all my heart. I believe that if we are willing to listen, that God has actually truly revealed so much about himself through the sending of his son. That if we would stop and really think about it and we would stop and we'd really ponder it and we'd stop and we'd really kind of internalize it, that God has chosen to reveal so much of who he is and what he is like in the arrival of his son through Christmas. And so our hope is that maybe we can kind of focus on those things together in this series, create room and to create space for us to do that. So specifically, uh, what we're hoping to do in this series is we wanna actually zero in on two characteristics of God, two core characteristics of God that I believe become more clear, that are more clearly understood and are made visible through Christmas. And so that's what we're gonna kind of think about here together. So to introduce you to these two characteristics that we want to talk about in this series, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and why don't we open them together to John chapter 1. Okay, so John chapter 1, as we introduce this series, it's a passage I want to take you to in John 1. Let me just say too that if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, uh, we would absolutely love you to, to have one. So you can take one of the Bibles that are under the, 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 the chairs. Uh, John chapter one, you'll find a Bible there under the chairs, page 860 in this Bible. So go ahead and get there. If you don't have one, take one, make it a Christmas gift. We'd love to have Merry Christmas. There you go. Now you just gotta give me something uh, for Christmas. I'm just, I'm totally joking. You don't gotta give me. So um, John one. All right, so uh, because this is an introduction week, I'm simply gonna read the first three verses And then I actually want to briefly look at verse 14. All right, so let's start in verse 1. John 1, 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And down in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory glory 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right, so this is the passage that I want to invite us to think about in the time that we have together. Not, not, not a ton of verses, but just a few. But as I said earlier, I believe that Christmas, one of the things that Christmas does, this passage does, is it reveals to us two core characteristics about God. We see that in this passage. And what are they? Well, I want to introduce you to a couple of terms. Some of you maybe have heard of these before. Maybe some of you haven't. The two terms are transcendence and imminence. Transcendence and imminence. And what are those terms talking about? Well, if you've never heard of these terms before, uh, simply put, transcendence, what does that refer to? Transcendence is defined as, it refers to that which is above, beyond, and outside of our experience. So you guys have probably heard this before, transcendence, or when we say that something is transcendent, what do we mean by that? We mean that it's beyond, that it's outside, that it's, it's, it's above our experiences. That's the idea of transcendence. The word imminence, maybe you guys have heard that before as well. The word imminence refers to that which is near and present in our experience, right? So that's kind of the idea. The tra transcendence is that which is outside and beyond, and the idea of imminence is that which is near, that which is close, sort of the concept. Now, theologians will actually use these terms to try to describe characteristics that are revealed to us in the Bible about God. And so as it relates to God, how would we understand these terms? Well, transcendence means that God is infinitely above us, and that he is infinitely beyond us. That God is infinitely above us and beyond us. He is in a category of his own. He is outside of, of uh, beyond, well beyond us. His ways are higher than ours. That's the idea of transcendence. Imminence is the idea that God is intimately among us and that he is beside us. And he is beyond us and that he is beside us. Or if I could, if you're tracking with me, if I could make it a little more simple, I, I guess a simple way to put it would be this. Transcendence is God's holy distance. And the word holy is actually an important word that we're going to talk about later on in this series. And the idea of imminence is God's gracious presence, right? God's holy distance and God's gracious. But now if you're beginning to track with that, here's one of the things that makes Christianity so unique. Okay? Christian, one of the things that makes Christianity so unique is that those who follow Jesus believe that the Bible reveals to us that God is both 100% transcendent and 100% imminent that he is fully transcendent and he is fully imminent, that God is not one or the other. He is not one at the expense of other. He is not sometimes one, sometimes the other. He is not half one or half the other. He is fully transcendent above us and beyond us, and he is totally imminent, that he is, he is, he is accessible and near to us. And I know that for a lot of us that causes certain circuit breakers in our mind to pop because we can't figure out how those, sounds like a paradox of those two things to go together. But I actually really love the way uh, C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis, I like the way he says a lot of things. Here's what, here's what he said about this. He said, God is both further from us and he's nearer to us than any other being. God is both further from us and he's nearer to us than any other being. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the transcendence and the imminence of God. And like I said, for so many of us, this seems like a total paradox when we hear these things. But I want you to know that when you go to the Bible, you're going to see that the Bible doesn't even bat an eye at these two things being equally uh, true about God. At this fact, sometimes you'll see these, these, exact, these, these two characteristics in the same passage. So let me just give you one example, and then I'll actually take us back to John chapter 1. In a passage in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 57... Here's what the prophet Isaiah writes. For this is what the, now notice the language. This is what the high and exalted one says. 
He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and a holy place. You see all that language? Beyond, above, high, that thing. But then I want you to notice in the very same verse, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So in this passage, what do you see? You see both of these things at play. That God is beyond us, that God is high, he is above, he is exalted, and yet he is also present and he is near to the contrite and to the lowly, to the brokenhearted, he's with the lowly. And so you see both of these elements at play. I think that you could look at a bunch of different passages in the Bible where you'd see this same reality kind of, kind of, uh, kind of put there for us. But I believe quite honestly that, the, that one of the clearest places that we can look to gain an accurate picture of where these two seemingly paradoxical attributes come together. I think one of the clearest places that you see that is at Christmas. Christmas is maybe one of the clearest places where you see the harmonization of the transcendence of God and the imminence of God culminate and come together. I think one of, the, one of the greatest passages that you can look at to see this is right here in John chapter one. So let's look again at John one and let me let's see if we can see these two things in this passage. So John one, again, it begins this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, I know at first glance, when you read that, it, seems, it sounds very confusing. It's a really confusing way to say something that you see here in John. But just to give you a little context, I think this is really important. What we're reading here is actually John's version of the Christmas story. So John, the writer of the Gospel of John, was a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing an account of the life of Christ, and he's giving us, in a lot of ways, John is giving us his version of the Christmas story. Now, some of you guys might know this. Uh, in the New Testament of your Bible, there's actually going to be four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's fascinating is that um, most of the events and the details of Christmas that we know of most of those come from the historical events and details. They come from the Gospels. So, for example, when you think about um, Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, when you think about Mary and Joseph and, and the virgin birth, and when you think about the manger, and you think about the wise men and the shepherds who were tending flocks at night, and you think about some of those, like the, you think about the nativity scene. And you might ask the question, where do we get those details from? We get those details from the Gospels, but more specifically, we get them from Matthew and Luke. Now, what's fascinating is when you read John's account of the Christmas story, which is what we're reading right now, he includes none of that. John includes no mention of Bethlehem, Mary, Joseph, wise men, shepherds. He doesn't have any of those details in his story. Now, why is that? Well, let me tell you why I think that is. I believe that John is telling the Christmas story from a different vantage point. Uh, Matthew and Luke, I believe that they're telling the Christmas story. Here, here's a way to think of it. I think they're telling the Christmas story from the ground level. They're talking about it from more of an imminent place, from Earth's perspective. What was happening on Earth when Jesus came into the scene? John is doing something totally different. John is telling it from the top down. He's talking about it from a heavenly vantage point. He begins from a very transcendent place when he begins his Christmas story. And how does he start? Well, notice how he begins. He's, he begins with in the beginning. It's a good place to start something. In the beginning. And, you know, you would think that if I was telling a Christmas story, if I said in the beginning, you'd be like, oh, like in Bethlehem. 
But John says, no, 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 not Bethlehem. Go back further. You're like, well, how far? Like, what kind of beginning are we talking about? Did you guys notice what kind of beginning John starts his Christmas story? What kind of beginning are we talking about? The kind of beginning when all things were made. That kind of beginning. So John is talking about the beginning. So when he says the beginning, he's like, you know, the beginning, the beginning. Uh, Actually, it's fascinating. All commentators agree that when John says in the beginning, when he begins the gospel with those words, it actually was very intentional on his part because that was intended to remind us of another place in the Bible that starts with those words. And can you guys think of another place in the Bible that starts in the beginning? Is there another place? I'll give you a hint. It's in the beginning. And so if you go to open up to the very first chapter, very first verse of your Bible, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 is going to start off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. And so John, when he begins his Christmas story, he's taken us back to this place. He's taking us back to the, cre- the creation, when the transcendent God created all things. And then John goes on to say something that sounds really confusing to us, but it's totally profound. Here's what John says back in John 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, if that's not the most confusing sentence in the Bible, like, I don't know what else is. I mean, when you read that, doesn't it just, it's like, what, what is he talking about, the word? And it almost sounds like a tongue twister. Doesn't say that 10 times fast. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. It's like, what is that all about? And uh, I, I gotta tell you this, this, uh, this always makes me laugh. And I, every time I read this verse or I see this verse, I always have to tell this story because this verse is actually one that's personally very significant to me. Uh, this is possibly the first verse I ever read in the Bible, I think so. I think it's the first verse I ever personally read in the Bible. And it's the first verse I memorized um, in the Bible. So when I was uh, 11, I think I was 11 years old, um, I got invited by a neighbor to go to uh, something, to a VBS. To a, if you guys aren't familiar with the VBS, it stands for Vacation Bible School. Three words that I think should never be put together. Like, it's just like, like sounds vacation, Bible school. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, but I, you know, I, this is the first time I had never been to anything like that before. I didn't really grow up going to stuff like that. And so I went, and I, it was a whole week long, but I only went for two days. That was it. I don't know why, but I only went for two days. And the first day I was there, they said, this is the theme verse. The theme verse is John 1 1. And they said it, and then they said this. And I, I didn't really pay much attention, but then they said this. This got my attention. They said, hey, if you go home tonight and you memorize this verse, if you commit it to memory and you come back and you recite it, we will give you a king-size Snickers bar. And then they have my attention because that's like, that's my love language. So I was like, done. So I went home and I was like, I was like, I got to find a Bible. So I asked them like, do we have a Bible anywhere? And we ended up finding one and I opened it up. I think it's the first time I actually on my own opened a Bible and I went to the table of contents to find John Come to find out, there's a whole lot of Johns in the Bible. And so I figured it out where to go, and I went to John 1.1, and I, and I just said it over and over again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. I had no idea what it meant. had no idea what it meant. But I got to tell you guys, this is just, I think this is a testimony to Scripture memory. It's so, I think Scripture memory is so important. Because I went back the next day, I recited the verse, and I got the king size Snickers. That was why I memorized the verse. And let me just tell you, that Snickers bar came and went, but the word of the Lord 
remains forever. I'm telling you, that thing etched itself deep into my heart and it never left me. Like I, would, I was like, I don't even know what that means, but it was just in there. And what's crazy is it wasn't until later when I ended up finally starting to follow Jesus, gave my life to Christ, and then I started studying the Bible that I actually realized the deep and powerful significance of this verse. This verse is so important. It's so powerful. You might be saying, okay, well, why? What, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, let, let me see if I can, it means a lot of things, but let me see if I can just point out something to you that I think John is saying. So I want you to notice this passage. He says, in the beginning was the word. He uses the term word, and it's capitalized. In, in the new uh, international version, you know, it's capitalized, word. So what's behind that? Well, what's interesting is, if you go back to the original language that the Bible was written, that, that uh, the book of John was written, it's the Greek, you're going to see that the word is actually this word right here. It's the word logos. It's the word logos. And this is actually where we get our English word, logic. That's where we get logic from. Now, what's interesting, this is why I think it's so fascinating about this term. In the first century, one of the ways that this term was used, logos, is it was used by Greek philosophers. And Greek philosophers used the word logos, get this, to refer to the intelligent, rational principle that governs the universe. So Greek philosophers had this term, and they would basically say the intelligent, rational principle that's behind the universe, that's behind nature, they would say that is logos, that is logic. They would would call it logos. Now, that might sound very abstract to you, but basically here's the idea. And I think my guess is that all of us have had this experience at some point in life. And even if you're someone who would say you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're investigating spirituality, and my guess is we would all resonate with this, that when we look at nature and when we look at creation, And when we look at the universe and even within ourselves, at our own bodies, the complexity of our own bodies, there is present some apparent form of rationality. Like it it seems like, do you ever have this experience? You look at something in nature or you look at something in the universe or you hear some scientific fact or maybe you go to the doctor and you discover something about you know, just the way your own body is built. And you're just like, oh my goodness, it really seems like this is like on purpose. Like someone designed, like there's a design behind this. Like there was a rationality that was driving this. Have you ever had that feeling before? I'll tell you, I have that feeling so often when I look at things in creation. I'll just tell you an example of when this hit me recently. Again, I, uh, I actually had a, a really cool opportunity uh, about a month or two ago, I, I was sitting in, I was listening to a sermon by a guy named Joe Stoles. You guys maybe have heard of him before. I really appreciate him. And he was given a sermon and he was telling this story. It blew me away. He was telling this story about how him and his wife got to go to Hawaii on one occasion and they went on a whale watching kind of tour. And I've never done anything like that. I would love to do something like that. But he was just talking about this. I don't really know anything about whales, about humpback whales. But he said that when he was on this whale, this whale watching tour, that the tour guide was telling them the things that they have learned about humpback whales, things they've observed about humpback whales. And here's what the tour guide was telling them. They said that um, if you guys have ever been on any, uh, a whale watching tour, either in Alaska or Hawaii, they said that what happens is every year, these humpback whales during the summer live in Alaska. They live in the Alaskan waters. But then every year, around the summertime, 
they migrate back to the exact same spot in Hawaii. It's almost like they have a condo there or something. So they come back, and the reason they come back to Hawaii is because they're, they're going to give birth. It's where, they're, where all the babies are born. And so they, they come back to Hawaii, and they go to the shallow waters because there's less predators in the shallow waters. And then um, the babies are born head first because they're mammals, right? So if they were born breached, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make it. They wouldn't survive. And then here's what's crazy. One of the, one of the other humpback whales, so the, 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 the humpback whale that's giving birth, there's another humpback whale that serves as a midwife. And so when the baby is born, the midwife will take the baby and push it up to the surface to get its first breath. And this is the part that I thought was so cool. After the baby is born, all of the humpback whales sing a song. And they sing the same song. And get this, all the humpback whales around the world sing the same song when a baby is born every year. And the song changes 25% every year. So every four years, they sing a new song. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, who taught them how to do that? Like, who, who in the world, like, how do they know, how do they know that? I, I, I couldn't find my way, you know, back to my house from here on my own. How do they know to go back to the same? And it's just like, there, there seems like, it really seems like there's something rational and logical. There's something behind that. I mean, even, gosh, if you look at our, even within our own cells of our own bodies, you think about DNA. Human DNA always blows me away. You guys have probably heard of the Human Genome Project. The Human Genome Project is basically where they, for the first time, basically mapped out the information that is encoded in a single strand of DNA. And it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Within our own DNA is encoded information. Information is not material. Information is immaterial. Immaterial uh, Information is logical. And yet it shows up in our DNA. I love um, what Oxford mathematician John Lennox said. He's absolutely brilliant. And he made this observation, and I just thought, that is such a good point. Here's what John Lennox said. We have only to see a few letters of the alphabet spelling our name in the sand to recognize at once the work of an intelligent agent. Right? You go down the beach and you see some, you know, someone wrote their name in the Sam, S-A-M. You see it in this, you're like, oh, someone named Sam wrote their name in the sand. He says, how much more likely then is the existence of an intelligent creator behind human DNA, the colossal biological database that contains no fewer than 3.5 billion letters, the longest, notice the term he uses, word yet to be discovered, the longest word. Listen, the Bible is going to declare something. The Bible is going to say that the logic that we see, which is evident in creation, belongs to the creator. It belongs to God. What's fascinating is Genesis 1.1, is the book of uh, Genesis chapter 1 isn't just going to tell us that God, God is the creator, that God is the one who created. Genesis 1 is actually going to give us a little bit of insight into how God created I don't know if you guys ever noticed this. Do you know how God created in Genesis 1? You actually notice a, a, a theme. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do that? Well, verse after verse, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. And God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said. In other words, how did God create in the beginning? Through his word. Through his word. He is the logic who is behind creation. He is the intelligent, rational principle that guides all of it. So when John says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and then he says, he, oh, so the Word is a he, 
was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Who's he talking about here? Here's who John is talking about. He's talking about the transcendent creator, God. The transcendent God. The one who is above us, who is beyond us, who is over all of creation, who is the rationality, who's behind everything that's made. That's who he's talking about. (laughs) Then John goes on in verse 14 to say something that is just magnificently mind-blowing. And he says this, he says that the word, the word, capital W, that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This right here is Christmas in 10 words. Christmas in 10 words. These 10 words contain within them one of the most, one of the greatest and one of the most magnificent realities about Christmas. And what is that? That the word, that the word that the creative rational principle, that the one who is with, that in the very beginning created all things, the transcendent God became flesh. That is that he came to us in human form in the person of Jesus and he made his dwelling among us. He made his dwelling. The word there made his dwelling is literally the word tabernacled. He tabernacled with us, which that sounds really weird, but tabernacle is just a really fancy word for tent. It means that he moved in. He, 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 he set up camp among us. And he did that so that he could be with us, that he could be among us. And so see, here's what Christmas is telling us. Christmas reveals to us and it speaks powerfully. And what does it show us about God? It shows us that God who is transcendent is imminent, that he is both beyond us and he is beside us. Now, my guess is some of you might be hearing all that and you might be thinking, that sounds good. That's interesting. That's, that's enlightening. I really appreciate those interesting theological terms. That's, that's really neat, Pastor. But maybe you can help me with this question. Uh, my question is, um, so what? Right? Like, I mean, that's interesting, but how does that information, how does what you just told me, how does that actually impact my life? How does that impact the way that I live? How does it impact the way that I view God? How does it impact the way I celebrate Christmas? You might be asking those kind of questions. And you guys, I believe that actually it impacts a whole lot. I think it informs and impacts a whole lot, which we want to talk about over the weeks to come through this series. But I just want to mention two things that I believe that this, that the imminence and transcendence of God at Christmas informs and impacts. So here's the first thing. First and foremost, I believe that this informs, Christmas impacts and informs, first and foremost, how we know God. How you, how me, how we know God. How can we know God? I want you to think about this with me for a minute. If there's a transcendent God who's above all, beyond us, infinitely above us, in a category of his own, his ways are higher than we'll ever understand. He does not fit in the confines of the human imagination or the human mind. If it's true that there's a God like that, then the question is, how do you know him? How do finite, limited creatures actually interact and commune and have a relationship with the creator God? How do you do that? How do you actually, and here's the truth. The truth is that if there is a transcendent God, that there is nothing, there is nothing that we could do to ascend to him. There is nothing we could do to to build ourselves up to the place where he's at. In order for us to have a relationship with him, what's required is that he would have to take the first step. He would have to condescend. He would have to meet us where we are because we could never meet him where he is. Now, here's what Christmas tells us. You can. You can know God because he did. He came to us. He took the first step and he condescended to be among us. Let me just say, if you're someone who's investigating Jesus here, maybe you're exploring your faith. And if that's you, by the way, I just, I wanna tell you this from the bottom of our heart. We just count it such an honor 
that you would let us be part of your faith exploration. I mean, we just count it such a privilege. But maybe you're at a place right now in your faith journey, for some of you, where you've come to a place where you've crossed the line on, on the existence of God. You're like, I, be- I, I believe there is a God. I completely believe that. And maybe you're in a place right now where, you know, as I was talking about the humpback whales and I was talking about our DNA, you're like, yes, I, I see that. I recognize that there is a rationality. There's an intellect that is transcendent and above us that exists within creation. So I concede, I believe that there is a God. But maybe for you, you're still not sure about Jesus. You haven't crossed the line on Jesus yet. And maybe you're like, well, how do I know that Jesus is the right way? And there's a lot of people that believe that there's a transcendent God, but how do I know that, that you know, what that might be? And I, listen, I believe that Christmas actually says something very profound to us. Christmas says that the only way that we can know God is if God was the one who revealed himself to us. And Christmas says that that's exactly what he's done. That the transcendent God, listen, that God has chosen to flesh himself out And literally, the word has become flesh so that we can know what God is like, so we can interact with God and have a real relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. And how does that begin? It begins here. It begins by putting your faith in Christ as the one who is the word made flesh. Here's the second thing that this impacts and informs. Christmas impacts and informs how we approach and how we relate to God. I think this is a really important point. Uh, God is both transcendent and imminent. We said this, 100% both. He is both of these things fully all the time. But I, what I have found is that this, uh, not only in our own personal experiences, but also throughout like the history of Christianity, I, uh, what we have found is that this is a foundational truth to which we tend to lean towards one side or the other. So I think all of us naturally tend to favor viewing God in one way over the other. I think we we tend to do that. But here's the problem with that. If we lean into one side to the exclusion of the other side, I think what happens is we've actually moved into understanding God in a way that's contrary to the way that he has revealed himself in scripture. So in other words, if we if we overemphasize or we de-emphasize one of these attributes, I think what happens is we end up with a distorted view of God. It's an inaccurate view of God. Uh, I actually put it this way in my notes. Uh, maybe you could think about it this way. I think if we loosen our grip on God's transcendence, so if we start to loosen our grip on, on, on the reality that God is holy and God is, and God is infinitely above us and beyond us and he's all-powerful and he's almighty and he's all-knowing, if we start to loosen our grip on that reality and we start to favor the idea that God is close and he is near and that he is imminent and that he's with us, I think what happens sometimes is we end up approaching God far too casually, far too casually. Uh, Jesus is my homeboy and God is my buddy. And, and we end up having this view of God that is casual, is flippant, and sometimes irreverent. And I think that what happens when we, when we lose sight of the fact that God, I'll be honest with you, I think, I think honestly, maybe for some of us who have grown up around grace, we can sometimes lean this way, where we start to lose a grip on the transcendence of who God is. However, on the other side, I think what can happen is if we loosen our grip on God's imminence, we end up approaching God dreadfully. 
So when I start to lose sight of the fact that God is close to me, that he wants to be near me, that I can actually have a relationship with the creator God, I think when we start to lose our grip on that part and we focus on these other aspects of God, we end up approaching God dreadfully. We approach God avoidantly, hesitantly, reluctantly, sometimes distantly in our relationship. But you see, I believe this is why it's so important that we have to hold tightly to both of these things. Because I believe that when we hold tightly to both, his transcendence and his imminence, we end up approaching God worshipfully. I think we actually worship correctly. We worship rightly the God who has revealed himself to us as both transcendent and imminent. He is infinitely beyond us. He is all-powerful, but he's with me and he's close to me and he's near to me and I can know him. And it's both of those realities, I think, that inform the true heart of a person who worships God. That's what a true heart of a worshiper is. Um, I, think, I think a great example of this, I could just give you one great example. I think if you think of King David, uh, King David, some of you probably have heard of him. He's a very famous historical figure in the Bible. He was a king, um, the king of Israel. He was a great warrior. He was a warrior. He was a shepherd. But one of the things that David also was that you, um, some of you might not know, he actually was a worship leader. He, he, was, uh, he actually was the contributor, the, the primary contributor to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament is a bunch of songs that would have been sung as praise to God. It's almost like a worship manual for God's people. But what's interesting is when you read through the Psalms, what you're gonna see is that the Psalms are maybe some of the best places where you see a theology of God's transcendence and God's imminence existing in the same place. So I'll just give you, I'll just give you just a couple examples here. I could, give, I could literally give you hundreds of examples here, but I'll just give you a few. Um, in Psalm 113, David says, the Lord is exalted over the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord? He sits enthroned on high. Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. He rules from heaven. Psalm 24 who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? What's all that about? It's about God's power, his transcendence, his bigness. But in the same, in the same Psalms and even in neighboring Psalms, you're gonna see things like this, Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. The Lord is my, look at this, my shepherd, he says. You see how personalized the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You are here. You are with me. You comfort me. And then in Psalm 139, you search me. You know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my laying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before I even speak a word, you know it completely. What's he talking about there? And the eminence, God, you're with me, you're close to me, you know me, you see me, you shepherd me, you guide me, but you're on your throne and you're powerful. Now listen, let me just say, what is it that empowers David to worship God as a shepherd in a field and to worship God when he's hiding in a cave running for his life and to worship God when he's sitting on a throne as a king? What empowers him to do that? You know what I think it is? I think it's that he had a proper understanding of who God is. That God is transcendent and he's imminent. God is strong enough and he's powerful enough and he's in control enough that there's nothing to be feared. And he's close enough and he's intimate enough and he's near enough that when I'm afraid, that he is with me. And it's both of those things that inform a heart of worship. So let me just say, I don't know how the holidays are hitting you this year. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know if you're in a high peak or if you're in a low valley. 
I don't know what you're experiencing in your life right now, but what is it that's going to allow you to turn to God who's strong enough and powerful enough and in control enough that you can trust him, but close enough and intimate enough that you can know him and he can walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. I think it's this. He is beyond us and he is beside us. He is transcendent and he is imminent. So let me tell you where we're headed in this series and then uh, we'll get a chance to sing together and we'll kind of close things up today. So here's what we want to do and I want to invite you to do with me and I want to invite you, if you're a guest, to come back, maybe join us for this whole series. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the whole week talking about God's transcendence and we want to think about what does it mean when we say God is transcendent, but here's kind of the real question. How does that impact the way that we view God? How does that impact the way that we view ourselves and others? And then how does that inform the way we celebrate Christmas? And the next week, we want to do the same thing, and we talk about the imminence of God and ask those same questions. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a chance to gather, to worship, and to celebrate the grand combination of the transcendence and imminence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and uh, as they do, uh, I just want to mention a few final things, uh, some, some resources that we've made available throughout this uh, series that I want to just let you know they're accessible to you, uh, and I think they could be helpful for you. So the first thing I want to talk about is this event that Steve mentioned. Uh, it's called Remember. This is actually a screenshot from our website. I just want to encourage you, if you want to, if you want to uh, partake in this, participate in this, you can go to the website. You can RSVP. This is coming this Thursday. And uh, like we talked about earlier in the message, we know that Christmas is not always an easy time of year for people. And so if you find yourself in a place where you are, um, maybe you're kind of journeying through sorrow or you're journeying through grief for whatever reason that might be, this is a space that we have created where we can grieve together, we can gather together, and then we can actually look towards hope together. And so I think it's going to be an awesome time for us uh, to be able just to, to be together for those who are kind of journeying through some of those things in the holiday season. So if you are someone who is in a place where that could be a benefit to you, we'd encourage you to take advantage of that. If you know somebody who could really benefit from that, if you have a friend or coworker or neighbor or relative, even if they go to church, uh, we're really excited about, about being able to serve, uh, serve our community in that way. All right. The other thing I want to let you know about, if you guys have a family, if you're folks who have young kids at home, we have something called a family advent guide that's available. Um, and this is just a kind of a journey through advent for your family. So if you're a family who's looking for just a way to kind of fix your family's attention on Jesus in the midst of all the holiday stuff, this is a weekly devotional that we have available. Um, there's a PDF on our website. Or you can get a physical hard copy back in the Power Kids area, and we'd encourage you to do that. I just think it's an awesome resource. It takes you through a uh, every week there's a different devotion, and there's an activity that you can do together as a family, uh, just again to kind of keep your eyes centered on Jesus. And then the last thing I want to mention to you is um, if you go to our website and you go to the Emmanuel Christmas tab, underneath you're going to find a Spotify playlist of all the songs that we are singing on the weekend here and through the Christmas season together. And uh, Sarah and Jordan have put this together for us. It's a great resource. Uh, again, our whole desire is to create space and room in our hearts to kind of fix our eyes on Jesus in a season like Christmas. And so I don't know about you, but one of the best ways that I do that is by listening to music. And, and a lot of times if I have worship music in the car or if I have it playing on the radio, at, you know, or uh, 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 I don't have a radio, if I have it playing on my Bluetooth speaker, I don't know why I said radio. <laughs> Who has that one of those? Uh, 
if I have it playing uh, somewhere, then I just like, it just keeps my mind fixed on, on Jesus. So that's something that's available to you. You can grab that on our website and uh, we'd love for you to do that. But you guys, I'm excited. I'm really excited about journeying for the next weeks together and entering into Christmas together and uh, thinking, thinking about the message that God has communicated through the arrival of his son. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we just wanna say thank you for uh, sending your son. Uh, God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to us. And thank you that the transcendent God is knowable, that you've made yourself known so that we can know you and we can follow you and we can, and we can walk with you. And so I even pray that right now as we sing these songs, that these would just be, um, that the words that we're singing would be far more than lyrics, that they would genuinely be reflections and prayers from our own heart to you, coll- collectively, that we cry out to you. So thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you that you love us. And we love you and wanna pray these things in Jesus' name.